With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Alexis Daria was consumed with her day jobs. Yes, day jobs, plural. When she decided at 30 that she needed to make room to pursue her creative passions, the outgrowth a Rita Award for Best First Book, and some of the most buzzed-about romance novels of the past few years, including her most recent book, the second in a series, A Lot Like Adios. Alexa shares how she got her first deal, how those deals have evolved over time, the hustle she is still in to make writing possible, and the art of writing fanfic, and the other effort. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. My favorite episodes are episodes where our audience has specifically requested a guest, and you are one such guest, oh where my gosh. your name has been circulated a number of times, and yet you are like a sphinx. I have Googled you to the heavens. I have listened to multiple interviews you have done. I know almost nothing about you. <laughs> So fill in the gaps for me. You're born and raised in the Bronx. Yes. Your family is Puerto Rican. Yes, my mom's side of the family. So as I understand it, you didn't get a degree in English. Oh, no. You have a, a degree in computer. I have a BFA in computer arts, but I went through a number of majors before I got to that point. What did you think you wanted to do? Well, I always wanted to be an artist. And for people in New York, I went to the fame school, LaGuardia for visual arts but I didn't think that was a viable career path. It's not that it was discouraged, but I couldn't see the way forward with that. Well, so I went into finance first when I went to school, and that was a total mistake. From there, I worked at a bookstore for six years because I've always loved books and I've loved writing. Took me a roundabout path to finishing school. I did eventually get a BFA, and I worked freelance for a long time. I worked for a magazine for a little bit. 
And then when I was 30, I was like, well, I've given art kind of a fair shot and I either need to go all in with it or go all in with writing, which I have not given a fair shot. So that's what I did. Was there something that happened at 30 that catapulted you into that choice? Yeah, I was doing a lot of work. Finally graduated and I didn't want a full-time day job because I wanted to be able to work on creative projects. But I realized that I was just filling up my schedule with all kinds of odd jobs. PA at a Katy Perry listening party. I was an assistant. I was a babysitter. I was a tutor. I was a photographer for like a catering company. I just did everything. I was a group facilitator for a women's group. I, I did all kinds of things. And I never had any time. I wasn't maybe working exactly 40 hours a week, but with all the running around I was doing, I just didn't have any time for myself or my own projects. What the turning point was, I was finally able to pay my bills <laughs> and have a little extra and feel secure in that. And I was like, okay, I've finally set up my life in this way to do creative work and I'm not doing it. What was the first step you took once you realized that you wanted to immerse yourself in your creative work? Well, I had been writing for a, a long time. You know, I was writing fanfic when I was in high school and I always loved writing and I thought it was something I would do later. And now later had come. <laughs> I was 30 years old and I was like, wow, I've never actually finished writing a book. I've started lots of them. I kind of just had to prove to myself that I could do that first. And from there, it was also filling in the gaps in my own writing education, learning about structure and outlining and revision and the publishing industry, things like that. So I tackled each of those things one at a time building my skill set. I signed up for online workshops. I joined a writer's organization that had a New York City chapter. I joined a critique group. I also, I'm a private tutor for kids. That's my day job. I'm doing it a lot less now, but that was basically what afforded me this opportunity to go all in on the writing. I love it. I'm like still helping 10-year-olds write <laughs> one paragraph essays. <laughs> Can you remember the first romance novel you ever read? Yes. I was 15 years old and a good friend of mine from the neighborhood in the Bronx dragged me to our local library and she was like, you have to read these two books by Nora Roberts right now. So we went to the library and she found the books for me and I took them out. It was Sea Swept and The McGregor Brides and I read both of them and I was hooked. One of the things that strikes me about your most recent work, you had me at Ola a lot like Adios, is while the romance is critical and while these are romance novels, the cousin relationship is so core. These are fundamentally, to me, books about the power of cousins. When in your own life have your cousins played a critical role? Oh my gosh. I mean, these books came about because I wanted to write about that cousin bond. And one of my cousins actually coined the phrase primas of power, which is the series title now. She asking for commission on that now? <laughs> she brings it up a lot. <laughs> I grew up in New York City, but I'm very close with some of my cousins in California. And I spent a lot of summers out there with one of my aunts, with some of my mom's cousins and all of their kids. And one of them, my cousin Catherine, she was just my creativity buddy. We made movies and recorded our own little radio shows and did drawings and wrote stories and built websites, you know. And a lot of times we did that while being on completely opposite coasts. So we were always, it felt like on the cutting edge of technology for how we could talk to each other without begging our parents to let us make a long distance phone call. 
When you began writing, did you know that romance was going to be your genre? No, I was writing a lot of paranormal stuff with vampires. Obviously, I was a teenager in the 90s, as one does. I was writing fantasy. I was writing YA. I was writing mystery. I tried writing mystery. It's very difficult to write. I tried writing historical, which is also very difficult. And then I got to romance. And romance was also a lot harder than I thought it would be to tell a convincing and believable romantic story where at the end you're rooting for the characters all the way through. And at the end, you really believe that this is it for them and they are going to be together indefinitely after the end of the book. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swathers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swathers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swathers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the elephant and Freddy the duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Growing up, like a lot of Latinas, your grandmother would watch telenovelas. They were on in the home. And I've heard you say, and I love this, that she would kick you out, not because she thought it was too mature, but because she didn't want you bothering her while she was watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We watched all kinds of things. I was always at my grandmother's house with my cousins. I kind of lived there on the weekends, too. So we were watch- definitely watching things we probably shouldn't have been. I remember walking in once and my uncle was watching Cujo and I was like, okay, I'm going to leave the room. But when the telenovelas came on, she was like, okay, it's time for me novelas. And we had to get out. Growing up, what were the messages that you were given about romance and about desire? So my mom is also a big romance reader. So there were tons of romance novels in my house growing up. And my mom would read parts of them to me, like the funny parts, not like the steamy parts. She'd be like, oh my God, Alexis, this part is so funny. You have to listen to this. And she'd tell me generally what the story was about. 
she would listen to some of the books on tape in the car. And then my brother was in the car too. So (laughs) when it got to those scenes, she would just turn it off. (laughs) But for some reason though, even though I was taking Nora Roberts books out from the library and reading them, I didn't want her to know that I was reading hers because she'd caught me once when I was like 13 maybe. And she was like, you're a little young for these. Maybe I was 11 or 12. I don't know. So I didn't want her to know that I was reading them. She knows now. (laughs) But in terms of the messages I got about relationships, though, it was your main focus is school. You are not allowed to have a boyfriend and also don't get pregnant. So that was also something that I felt like I had to hide. And then, yeah, I mean, otherwise we just didn't really talk about it. When I went back to everyone who had suggested that we do this episode. And I was like, well, she's coming. So let me know your questions. Everyone had the same question. And it was, how much does she pull from her own life? (laughs) How much of this is from your imagination? And how much of this is things that you've experienced or things that you've watched others experience? I would say bits and pieces. Sometimes it's specific things like in a lot like Adios Michelle has a nerdy backpack, like She's got like a Captain America backpack. I have a Captain Marvel backpack like that I use as a purse (laughs) because it's just easier to wear walking around the city, right? There's little things like that. But then there are bigger things like the bond with the cousins or the way that the family gossip mill works or just really the vibe of being in that kind of family and in those kind of family events inside their grandmother's home. Those are things that I pull. And a lot of things that the characters are feeling about a certain thing, like their thoughts about their career, their work, their success, wanting more. A lot of that comes from me too. I've heard you refer to the books having both a lot of fanfic and the other F word. So let's talk about the other F word because sure, my goodness, I mean, that feels like easy to underestimate how challenging it must be to write those scenes. Oh, yeah. God, it's it can be so difficult sometimes because there's so much relying on those scenes. They're not just in there for shock value or anything like that. They're there because they are advancing both the character's relationship and also their own internal arcs because sex is intimacy and there's physical intimacy and there's emotional intimacy. And I always think about how the characters show up in both regards So it's making sure that the scene flows, that I'm not overusing the same word over and over again. I keep the thesaurus open in a tab while I write, or at least while I'm revising. The pacing has to be right. And it just really has to fit the book and fit the characters. And then, of course, you just don't want it to be boring, because I feel like that would be the worst thing. That would be (laughs) tragic. Is it possible to write those scenes without being self-conscious? I don't know. I mean, I used to write in cafes a lot. Or I would like meet up with other writers to write and I would sometimes open up my laptop and I'd be like, oh, I'm at a sex scene. Okay, I'm not going to write this right here. It's going to have to wait till later. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked with a lot of authors and the process of getting books published really does vary by genre. So for example, I have written a nonfiction book and we've talked about the fact that for nonfiction books, submit you know 40-page-ish proposal that really lays out uh, what the vision of the book is, where you're going to take the book, some of the research that you're going to use. For novels, you submit at least your first manuscript to the publishing houses for consideration. With your first book, how did that deal come to be? And then once you'd established yourself as 
an author who could sell books, which if we're being honest, is what the business of publishing is about. How then did those deals begin to change? Well, my first book deal was not the first book that I wrote. It was, I think, the fourth finished book that I had written. The third one is the one I tried to get an agent with, and I did not get an agent. So I said, okay, this book is not the one. Let me write another book. Wait, and tell me, when you were said you were trying to get an agent, were you like cold submitting? Were you asking people for introductions? Everything. I tried everything. I was querying through their websites or their submittable. I was entering contests or going to conferences that allowed you to either pitch an agent face-to-face or where the final judges were agents and editors, which is actually how I got my first offer was that I had entered a contest and I won and three of the agents and one of the editors who were final judges asked to see the book. And that first deal, it was a two book deal. I had written the first book. I sent in, I think just a one page blurb for the second book. And I had no advance, like zero (laughs) dollars. Wait, explain though, for those who don't know, because you were putting your work out and essentially you were seeing no compensation for it. Right. You're basically, you're selling the publisher your books for free, but with a higher royalty rate on the back end. But the book is only out in ebook. And so there's no discoverability in libraries, in bookstores, in indie bookstores, because it's not in print. And then there's very little marketing done for the books because they got it for free. <laughs> so that was my my first deal. And my second deal, I sold on proposal. And this was after my first book had won kind of a, a major romance award. And the second one, my second deal, people were waiting for a proposal. Like my agent would message me every so often, just be like, just so you know, three more editors ask this week when you're going to submit a proposal. So no pressure, right? And it took me a while to really put it together. But then we got an offer, a couple of offers right away. And there was a preempt with like real money on the table. What I thought was real money. Now I'm hearing about some other deals. (laughs) Explain what a preempt is. A preempt is when a publisher jumps in with an offer and tries to snatch the deal off the table before anybody else can make an offer. They're like, we will pay you X amount of money for you to not consider anybody else. So we did a little bit of negotiating and then I went with that offer with HarperCollins. Your writing is spectacular. You don't need me to tell you that. You you. now have the accolades and the sales that suggest it. But I do wonder beyond that, how much on the publisher side was seeing that you were reaching and resonating with an audience that they had previously found untapped. I do think that was part of it. I think timing was a big part of it. I am in a group with a lot of other Latina romance authors, and we talk about all of this stuff in detail and the kinds of deals that some of us got in the last four or five years versus the deals that we're getting now and the deals that some newer authors are getting now, which are much better than they were. So there is progress in that regard, but we do talk a lot about the kind of marketing support that we're getting at our houses and what we should all be expecting And if it's not happening, when to bring in our agents, things like that. So I have a holiday romance anthology that's out with six other Latina romance authors. And we're just friends and we had decided we wanted to do this. It's called Amor Actually. And it's these interconnected stories with happily ever afters. And we did try pitching it to publishers. We were just going to 
self-publish it, but my agent wanted to take a crack at it and she represents like half of us. So we put together a proposal and it was like such a solid proposal. And we have such, uh, like all of us together, it was like really impressive and nobody took. We got a lot of, oh, we already have a Latinx project. Oh, we don't know how to sell this. Oh, we don't know what to do with an anthology with this many people, like things like that. So we were like, okay, well, our plan was always to publish this ourselves anyway. So we did. So we'll see. But it's just those kinds of things that even with all of the things that all of us have done so far in publishing, it was still just that reminder that, okay, we still have to do things for ourselves sometimes. It was interesting to me the amount of thought that you put into your covers and the extent to which it is important to you to have power over your covers because it sends a message about the type of book that it is going to be. Can you tell me how you came to understand that? Well, my background is in visual arts. So this is just an area that is very important to me. And like I said, I also had worked in a bookstore. So I had years of looking at countless book covers every single day. I was like doing merchandising at one point. So like what books are going to go on this table and which ones look good together and what message are these covers giving? So that's something I think about a lot with my covers and something that I have fought to get as much control over as I can. And I think my publishers have realized that it's paid off. So they are willing <laughs> to entertain me on this. With the Primas of Power series, we got this fantastic artist, Bo Feng Lin. I had been following him on Instagram for years. And I was like writing it in like my vision journal. Like I was like, I want him to do my book cover like every day. And when it came time to talk about it, I was like, he's the only cover artist that I want to use for this. And Avon really, Avon is my publisher. They got him and I sent in like a 20 page PDF <laughs> with all of my ideas and like color schemes and stuff. And they worked with me on that and were focused on like making sure it looked like a romance with both of them on the cover together, like in the classic clinch, but in a very fresh and, and new style. Because for me, one of the things that I, I don't want is for it to look like everything else. I want it to look like it's my book, but I also want it to be recognizable for what it is, a romance novel. I get that it's like, it's about the writing. It is about the story. There also, though, is just the truth that you, in the process of writing and telling the story, are also normalizing things, especially for women in our communities in particular, that might not be normal for people like therapy, yes. um, like using lubricant during sex. And I wonder how important it is for you that beyond the story, the books have that impact. It's hugely important to me. And I think that it's something that can be done. It doesn't have to like be beating people over the head. It doesn't have to take a lot of work. It just has to take a few lines in the book, carefully placed and carefully phrased to make it normal because it is normal. So if I'm showing that these are things that are normal for the characters, then that's doing the work right there. They don't have to stop and have a conversation about it or in You Had Me at Ola, Jasmine doesn't have to like make it a big deal with her family that she's going to start going to therapy. She just does it because it doesn't have to be a big deal. And yet it feels like it is. 
Alexis, this was so fun. Thank you for letting me pepper you with questions about your life. Thank you. I also just want to say that I was so honored and flattered that you asked because I've been following the podcast and I was like, man, that would be so cool to do someday. Like what a cool thing. Thank you, Alexis. Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Stephen Colon mixed this episode. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please, to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.